Well, it was suggested that perhaps as a Nittany Lion fan that, you know, has gone through some rough years the last few years that I would somehow work the momentous overtime, quadruple overtime victory of Penn State over Michigan into the sermon, but I'm not going to do that. I wouldn't even think about doing that. So uh, so I'll just invite you to turn to Second Timothy uh, chapter 2, where we'll look at verses 1 through 2 today, a brief passage, but it'll catapult us into some other passages that I'd love for us to take a look at. And Second Timothy is found all the way towards the end of your Bible. It's really right before the book of Hebrews, which is just a stone's throw from Revelation, the last book in the Bible. So you've got to locate it tucked in there a little bit. But it's got some important truth to teach to us today. And again, I'll remind us this week that we're continuing along in our sermon series this fall, looking at transforming principles for living in God's grace. And really, as we think about it in a couple of different ways, not only are these principles for us collectively as a church, but also individually, and we're also sort of zooming in is one way to look at it. We started out, uh, I guess almost two months ago, talking about grasping grace and faith in action, which are very large global themes for the Christian life that apply and affect a lot of areas of our Christian walk. And then in the last uh, three weeks or so, we've zoomed in a bit closer to some of the ways that's going to work out in the week-to-week, month-to-month life of us as believers and life of our church. We talked about truth in teaching, talked about connecting in community, building relationships through Christ with one another. And we talked last week, just last week, about serving in mission. So zooming in a little bit closer to home. And then really this week and then in two weeks when we finish up the series, we'll be looking today at this idea of cross-generational discipleship, really getting down to the nuts and bolts of what it means to be a disciple and perhaps to be discipling others. And then we'll look at the idea of investing in families. So we're, we're bringing all these big things down into some three or four things we can think about and then a couple of areas that are very specific, discipleship and uh, families. That's what we're, we've been about. And as we look at our passage today and think about this idea of cross-generational discipleship, you'll note that the book of First and Second Timothy are letters that the Apostle Paul has written to a younger, younger spiritually and younger, you know, biologically, chronologically person, Timothy. And Timothy is a person that was discipled by the Apostle Paul. And so with that in mind, I invite you to stand. I'll read aloud these two verses and you can read along silently. Where the Apostle Paul gives these straightforward but profound words of instruction to Timothy. You then, my child, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You may be seated. As you do, let me pray again for our time in the Scriptures. Oh, Father, we thank You 
For your word and all the ways it paints this picture of living in grace. And we ask today that you really help us to understand this particular idea of discipleship in a way that would bless us and strengthen us for your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I thought it might help us to start our sermon time today, and you can take out a pen if you want to, if you've got one handy, and maybe flip to a page in the back of your worship guide if you want to jot a few of these things down, because I think it might be a profound thing for us to think just a moment as we start about the individuals in each of our lives whether we're in a younger stage of life or whether we're further along in years, who have touched us some way spiritually. Maybe it goes back to your early childhood years when you were just coming to faith for some here. Maybe it was a time in high school or college years, a peer that really helped you to grow and understand the gospel. Maybe, hopefully somewhere along the way, a pastor or somebody that helped minister God's word to you. Whatever way you want to think about it, maybe a close friend that's just been there and reminded you of God's truths along the way, think for a moment, and if you want to, maybe even jot down the names of a few folks that have really helped to strengthen you or to introduce you to a walk with Jesus. It's an interesting thing to do, to even just think of that list of names because it's really refreshing and encouraging to think back on how folks have blessed us in some way. Probably folks that didn't, you know, they were just trying to fulfill what God had for them to do. And they didn't know what was going to happen even in your life with the things that they shared. But they imparted them to you, and they had an impact on your trajectory spiritually, your walk with the Lord. So as you're thinking a little bit on that list of folks, Think as well, and maybe jot down some, people that you have had an opportunity to at least try to invest in. There's many here who are parents, and we're going to talk about investing in families in a couple of weeks. But for the most part, as parents, we understand God's calling us to invest. So that could be a a list for many of us right there of folks we're invited to invest in, but maybe others that we've had a a chance to reach out to in the business setting and help to share some of who the Lord is or in our neighborhood or in our larger extended family? Who are those folks that we have at some point along the way tried to make an investment in the disciple to help them grow in the Lord? It's interesting to lay out those lists because it's a reminder that really all of us are in a process at all points in our Christian journey of being discipled, receiving the investment that others are making in us spiritually, and Lord willing, also taking what God has blessed us with in understanding and knowledge and growth spiritually and seeking to impart that to others. We're kind of always receiving, you know, taking it in and sending it on out. And as we think about that, I have for you in your worship guide this main idea that 
I hope will help summarize what we want to talk about this morning in this passage in 2 Timothy and some others we'll look at. That since Jesus calls us to his kingdom to become disciples, that's what he invites us to do, that we should be involved in discipling others and being discipled across generations. We'll get to the sort of generational part in the end part of our sermon, and we'll get to the being discipled and discipling others in just a moment, but it would do us well before we even start into that to not only think about those who have invested in us and the blessing we have from them, but the fact that Jesus has chosen to call us, if we're in Christ, his disciples. It's maybe not exactly the same thing as him walking along that Sea of Galilee and calling out to Peter or Andrew or James or John and inviting them to follow him. Maybe we don't feel like it transpired in exactly that kind of way. But it's the same result in our lives that Jesus has in some way reached in and called us to the great privilege of being able to follow Him, to be numbered among His disciples. That's who we are as believers. And uh, for some of us, myself included, you get caught up in other things that are priorities for us, other titles or headings we would have for ourselves, and it's easy to forget that each one of us who's in Christ is at the ground level a disciple. That's who we are because of Jesus reaching into our lives and blessing us. Have you, have you thought about that recently? Just the privilege, not only of being called to Christ and being saved and being a Christian, but of being able to be a follower of Jesus, being linked to Him as one of His disciples. With that in mind, the Scriptures that we looked at today and some others we'll walk through really invite us then to think about, okay, Jesus has shown us this model of making disciples, and he's blessed us to be numbered among his disciples. What does that mean for us? The scriptures certainly show us that it means we should be discipled and be seeking to be disciple makers as well. And before we get our minds a little clouded by this, it would help us to think about the different settings that this can take place in. Because for some of us, we hear the word discipleship, and we immediately think sort of a one-on-one relationship, even though, of course, Jesus' model was more one with a group of folks. But we may think sort of one-on-one mentoring, coaching. Discipleship would include that. But as I said, even for Jesus, it it meant more of sort of a small group context, we would think, or life group kind of setting, a, a group of people. Hopefully, in our church context as well, and, and, and other churches, the Sunday school time is a time of discipleship. In fact, we, for the adults in our church setting specifically, have designed our Sunday school time. So, it, number one, it is sort of cross-generational. It's not broken down by age and stages of life but also so that it's simply a discipleship pathway for people. So you can come and say, this is an area I want to grow, I want to hear about, I need for my spiritual walk. And hopefully, even in this context, this worship service setting, we're all growing 
as disciples, that that's part of what worship is about corporately each week, is being discipled. It's interesting, the um, church has kind of, I guess, in recent years come up with a little uh, cross stick for what it looks like to be a disciple and what we ought to be looking for in those we might be called to invest in, and that is the letters F-A-T, fat, looking to be fat. How so? Faithful, available, and teachable. Aren't those three things that we need to have that we see in the Scriptures for Jesus' disciples? And then we also see that we need to have in our life. If we want to receive uh, someone investing in us spiritually, we've got to make the commitment. We've got to make the time. And we've got to be ready to receive what's being shared. Otherwise, it's not going to go too far. And likewise, if we're thinking about who God's called us to invest in, in whatever setting we can do that, we ought to be looking for folks in particular that have that sort of response, that are ready to kind of hear and learn and grow through our investment in them. I really like the uh, book, although the title's a little bit deceptive to me and always has been, uh, Robert Coleman's book, which has sold, according to this one, three million copies, and I bought this a number of years ago. It's called The Master Plan of Evangelism, but to my mind, really ought to just be called The Master Plan of Discipleship. That's really its focus. This is a wonderful book, and I'll just have time this morning to touch on some of the key areas of discipleship that he highlights. And all he did was take a look at Jesus. Say, who is Jesus? How did Jesus disciple his followers? And what do we learn from that? A couple of principles to share with you today. The first thing he highlights, and we see it certainly in the Scriptures, is this idea of selection. You see it in the Scriptures in Luke chapter 6, verse 13, where it says, Jesus called his disciples and chose from them twelve. Did you ever think about this strategy? I mean, why didn't Jesus just invent some means of getting, you know, communication out to the entire world at the time? He was God, so he could do things however he wanted to and just get the message out about who he was. Why does he why doesn't he do that? And then even within his ministry, although we see him interacting with larger groups of people and giving the Sermon on the Mount to huge crowds. He spends an awful lot of time with just these 12 disciples and maybe with a larger group of 70 that we read about that were gathered together around. But it seems like a sort of inefficient way of trying to advance this whole kingdom of God thing that's so essential for the world to know, to believe, to understand. I think Coleman hits the nail on the head and you can find some of his statements in your worship guide, I believe. When he says it all started by Jesus calling a few men to follow him. And this revealed immediately the direction his strategy would take. His concern wasn't with programs to reach the multitudes, but with men whom the multitudes would follow. Remarkable as it may seem, Jesus started to gather these men before he ever organized an evangelistic campaign or preached a sermon in public. Men were to be his method of winning the world to God. 
Jesus had this very slow, methodical idea that he would invest in a group of folks who then, as the Apostle Paul was saying to Timothy, would replicate and invest in others around them. And he selected a group of people to invest in that way, to seek to pour his life into. Coleman goes on and says, One cannot transform the world except as individuals in the world are transformed. And individuals cannot be changed except as they are molded in the hands of the master. Now, the first thing that I say about this is it just seems, again, really inefficient. It's not very effective, Jesus. It's very slow. How can this possibly work? Coleman again. Here is where we must begin, just like Jesus. It'll be slow, tedious, painful, and probably unnoticed by people at first. But the end result will be glorious even if we don't live to see it. It's a privilege to be discipled by others for them to choose to invest in us. It's also a privilege to look and say, where is God calling me to invest? We, we can't uh, pour into everybody. Jesus didn't even do it that way. So if Jesus didn't do it that way, it means for us too, it's okay for us to look and say, who around me is he specifically calling me to reach, to share with, to connect with the body of Christ? Second thing Coleman talks about is this idea of association. He uses some big, big words here, but you understand the idea. That is simply that Jesus chooses to be with those that he's investing in. He spent time, and that's, that's hard for us both on the being discipled into things and investing in others. That's probably one of the biggest commodities for a lot of us in here with our busy lives and work schedules and family schedules to really carve out that kind of time, both to receive and to pour into others. Jesus took time to spend. As Coleman again says, he ate with his disciples, slept with them, talked with them, for the most part his entire active ministry. They walked together along the lonely roads. They visited together in the crowded cities. They sailed and fished together on the Sea of Galilee. They prayed together in the deserts and in the mountains. And they worshiped together in the synagogues and temples. It's going to mean time together. That's part of this idea of discipleship. We're really iron sharpening iron. We're rubbing off on one another. I won't have time to camp out on the next couple of points, but I think they're just as important Coleman says the disciples also had an understanding of consecration, that they were really set apart to this purpose. Jesus, you remember, told them to take his yoke upon them. He said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's going to be better for you than the yoke that the world has to offer you. But yeah, there's a, there's a commitment, there's a yoke to be put on, to being a disciple, to be committed to it. We've just been singing about it today, about the fact that Jesus was forsaken so that we could be forgiven that he was condemned so that we could be accepted the idea of that is is certainly for us to enjoy the blessings of the kingdom right now certainly to enjoy heavenly blessings in eternity but it also means that he's bought our life with a price he's purchased you and me for his purposes and so we're set apart to be his disciples and as we're going to see here to invest in others as well Now, Jesus knew this is going to be a tough thing for us both to receive and for us to extend 
discipling ministry to those around us. So he also imparted something to us that's hugely important, and we'd be way off track if we didn't see this. John 20, verse 22, says that Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, Receive my spirit. Receive my spirit, the Holy Spirit. If we're going to be disciples and really be you know, faithful, available, and teachable, God's got to do a work in our lives, doesn't he? For us to really want that and be in that place, same thing. For us to turn around and try to figure out ways to be that type of blessing in the lives of others, Jesus has got to empower it. The Holy Spirit's got to give us strength to do it. Otherwise, it won't happen. And we don't want to ever be seeking to be disciples or be discipling others in our own strength or in our own power, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus not only imparted the Holy Spirit to give us power, he demonstrated what all this would look like. Again, one more time from Coleman. He says, one living sermon is worth a hundred explanations. You know, we've all probably who are parents here have said the saying to our kids, don't do as I do, do as I say, right? We've said that because we realize our lives don't line up with our words. And the saying's sort of humorous for us because it displays the fact that those two things don't line up well. They don't connect. And when they don't, they don't really work. You can't impart something unless you're living it out yourself. And Jesus demonstrated, even in the washing of the disciples' feet, what it looked like to invest in others, to pour into them. Last couple of things from this wonderful work by Coleman. We'll talk about delegation in a minute. And that is supervision. It's not easy to do many things in life by our own without somebody else helping us along the way. Uh, Think for a minute about the athletes that we probably most of us watched on TV yesterday for at least a little while. Uh, They're the college folks. Today maybe you'll watch a little bit of the NFL people, and you could take any sport, but we'll take football since it's at hand. The people that are the highly skilled top recruits coming out of college have already spent thousands and thousands of hours in their life playing, practicing, training, fitness, workouts, all of those things. They've already demonstrated in countless college games and numerous high school games and all kinds of scrimmages that they can do what's needed to be done on the field. They're highly trained, highly skilled folks. You know what's interesting? The moment those people begin to get paid millions of dollars in the NFL because of all that skill and ability and talent, they line them up with a whole cadre of equally well-paid coaches to direct them how to improve, how to continue to grow, how to continue to get better. They give them input and insight that coach them along the way. If it's true for those folks in the sort of worldly realm of sports, how much more is that true for us in the spiritual area as well? It's a blessing to be able to go to someone around us, maybe who we see that's further down the line in some area of their spiritual walk, and say, would you invest in me? Or to do that just through coming to a small group or life group or Sunday school, essentially we're saying, 
I need help. I want you to make an investment in me. I need that. I seek that. How amazing it will be if that's part of the tenor, the pulse of our church. And that leads us to the last thing about being discipled and discipling. And that is this whole idea of delegation and reproduction. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples when he was calling them? He didn't just say he was calling to the kingdom. He said, I'm calling you to make you fishers of men. And then the last words we saw last week that he gave them was, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. It was interesting. A, a, one of the mega churches in our country a couple of years ago had both the humility and the insight and the wisdom to actually do a survey of their tens of thousands of members. And I'm sure this isn't just indicative of a sort of megachurch setting. It can be indicative anywhere. But they did a study to try to find out, are we actually making disciples? Are people actually growing in a mature way in their spiritual walk and learning new things about the Lord and imparting those to others? Is that happening? And you know what they discovered? That they were bold enough to share with the rest of the Christian community? They discovered they were about a thousand miles wide and one inch deep in what was actually happening in people's lives. And Jesus' method is slow. It's a process. It's a growth thing. And it's going to take that kind of investment It's interesting, a couple of numbers that are on your sheet. If you haven't looked at your worship guide yet, you might want to look at this section because otherwise I'm going to definitely lose you here. Think for a moment about the difference between reproduction and just addition or multiplication and just addition in the spiritual realm. Imagine a person who was so effective and so used by God that they led one person every day into a saving relationship with Jesus. They led that person, but didn't necessarily develop them into somebody that reproduces into others. They led them to Jesus, but didn't necessarily lead them beyond that. That would be 365 per year. That person did that year in, year out. You can see listed there the numbers by addition. That's, that's impressive. That would be, we would be amazed at that. We'd be giving thanks for that. And it'd be a, a good thing for sure. But do you see what happens when we invest in discipleship in a way that that discipleship then reproduces in others? That disciples that are being discipled reproduce others? It's an unbelievable statistics that you see laid out for you in your worship guide. One person invests in two. Those two then invest in another two. That's four. That's eight. Goodness, by year seven or Seven or eight or so, it doesn't look like much has happened. 64 people being reached, 128. Come on, this is slow, this is tedious, this can't be the way to reach the world, possibly. Look how the numbers start to play out, if that's happening. Again, we're just talking here about one person per year that is being reached by each believer. By even as early as the year 15, the numbers of folks reached and then reached through those people is tripling. And then you look at the numbers in 25 years, and I'll tell you what, folks, I don't know, I haven't done a study, but I bet this is why we're seeing in our day, in China, in India, in South America, and in places in Africa, millions of people coming to faith in Christ. You know what happened back in the late 1800s, early 1900s? 
The church all of a sudden woke up from its slumber for centuries, really, and said, hey, uh, yeah, that's right. Jesus said something about sending out people to share the message with those that hadn't heard. And the church started doing that. And people went, and you know, they didn't see much fruit to begin with. They saw one or two converts in some places that today there are millions. That's the fruit. That's the fruit of reproduction of discipleship. I invite us all to think about that. What are the implications of that for us as those who are being discipled? Do we think of ourselves as disciples? And then do we think of ourselves as disciples who are making other disciples? The last thing for us to talk about today is this idea that this happens across the generations. And I won't spend more than just a moment on this, but I think it's important. You see this in the Bible. Uh, Moses with the younger Joshua. Uh, Elijah, Elijah with Elisha, Paul and Timothy. We could give a lot of other examples. There is this idea in the scriptures that uh, the discipleship process doesn't have to mean we're different ages and stages. It could just mean different maturity spiritually going on. But that there's a great benefit when we encounter one another, when when we encounter one another across the ages and stages, when uh, folks who are empty nesters are helping to teach those little four and seven year olds that went out and they're seeing and interacting with somebody who's not their parents, perhaps. And when the parents come in to our communicants class with our 10 year olds and share their testimonies and when we meet in life groups and we connect with one another that, you know, maybe hopefully aren't just exactly in the same age and stage in life. And we experience that blessing of the wisdom that comes from the years and the energy and excitement that comes from the youth. Now, that's part of what we're praying for would happen in our church family. Let me close with a story that maybe we've heard before about just the impact that we can each really have. And I want us to see again that Jesus is not saying we've got to go individually and reach the entire world. He's inviting us to look around us and say, where can I invest? Where can I have an impact? Man was walking along the beach one day and saw a woman off in the distance. And he was looking around as he walked. And there were literally thousands of starfish that had been stranded as the tide receded all over the beach. And he proceeded and continued on his walk. And he saw this woman up ahead grabbing and she took one a starfish, and carried it carefully along the hundred yards or so to the receded ocean waters and placed it in the ocean and turned back around and walked back. And as he kept walking on his way, he came and came into contact with her and he asked her what she was doing. She said, I'm saving these starfish. He looked incredulous for a minute and pointed around and said, there's Thousands of starfish. What difference can this make? Why does what you're doing even matter? And she held up the starfish she had just picked up and said simply, it matters to this one. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have a plan for how we're to grow in you and really mature as disciples. And Father, we thank you that you involve us in extending that plan to those around us that you've called us to invest in whatever way you've gifted us 
Lord. We don't have to fit in some kind of mold to do this. You just call us to be in, intentional about going and making disciples. And we ask that you'd really give us wisdom and insight into particular ways you want us to be involved in that ministry of disciple making and where you really want us to put ourselves in a place to receive a discipling ministry from from others that we'd really glorify you with our lives and we'd be transformed in the way that you desire and we pray all this in jesus name amen